and we can't simply just go do something fun and all the things we're dealing with are put on pause because they come with us and they're, they're always there. So for me, I I try and approach self-care as a, a holistic, like embracing where we are and what do I need in this moment, which might look different today versus tomorrow versus next year. So it doesn't have to be static and always the same, but we can care for ourselves by connecting to what we really need in that moment. Okay, I am super excited to have brought. Uh, is it Laura or Laura? Which would do you prefer? Either either one is great. Okay, so I brought Laura on to talk to you guys because um, I've been following Laura's content for a long time, and she goes by Self Care with Laura, and that immediately struck me as like, oh, okay, immediately I know what you're all about. We're gonna learn about self care because I seriously need this on my healing journey. So I wanted to talk to Laura today about how she does self-care and kind of what you do professionally as well. Like what, what are you all about, first of all? Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Avery. I'm really excited to be here and yeah, talk all about self-care. So I'll start personally for myself. I was working in fields of work where self-care was really encouraged And it was lines of work where burnout is very common, working on the front line in service-based roles where you're providing a lot of care and support and being told to self-care. But most of us didn't know what self-care actually looked like. And this was, I think, six, seven years ago before it was the buzzword that we see online Mm, so much. And all of us thought it was just the bubble bath and the way it gets presented. But we felt guilty practicing it, were folks who help others or didn't have the capacity within our own mental health experiences to follow through on self-care. So I really got into the field first from a part of wanting to learn more about it and actually learn how to follow through for myself. That is amazing. And that really resonates when you say like um, feeling guilty about self-care. That really sticks out for me because a lot of people with similar mental health conditions as I do, um, there's a lot of internalized guilt. There's a lot of internalized shame, right? And um, I don't don't want to say that it's like exclusive to BPD or PTSD or all that. Like I think it is also just like a millennial thing almost where like you feel guilty for just like resting. And just like mm. you have to, there's this idea in society that you constantly have to produce and you constantly have to work. And when you take a moment for yourself, it almost feels selfish. It feels like, like you, you just feel like, well, like I, I don't deserve this. Right. And um, yeah. that's, that's a oh, big totally. thing with self-care is I, I've really tried to unlearn that. Um, especially when I'm engaging with your content and kind of remembering that when I'm cultivating a self-care routine. Totally. It's the the piece about worrying so much about producing and the, the guilt around rest. I think 
You're exactly right that if for millennials, we grew up with seeing our caregivers or parents or people in the generation before us, the lineage that they receive from their parents and caregivers and before them was so much about work, 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 and your identity is tied to how much you can produce. And then all these capitalist messages we've received that then we're, we're given that guilt. So I always remind people that that guilt isn't our own. We're not necessarily even choosing to feel it. It's something we've been taught to feel as a result of the culture we're so embedded in. And it is an unlearning. Like you said, it's the perfect way to go about it is, okay, now I'm unlearning this thing that I didn't ask for that was taught to me. And I can learn that I'm deserving and worthy of slowing down and not having to produce, produce and just keep going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I the unlearning is like a big word for me. It's it's not necessarily like I because I'm not going to shame myself into getting rid of the guilt, right? Like there's mm. almost this this thing that happens where I I feel guilty and then I'm like, "Oh, oh, I am so stupid for feeling guilty. I should not feel that." And it's just like mm. right? There's like totally. a whole other level. And so I've as I practice more effective self-care, I've learned to eliminate that kind of like attitude and really finally enjoy like taking care of myself and doing the things that I need um, in tons of different ways. And it's, and it's not, like you said, it's not the bubble bath. There are so many ways to practice self-care and I wanted to kind of go through those with you today, if you don't mind. Totally. Yeah. It's um, a question that I ask uh, any group that I work with. And and now in my professional work, what I'm doing is running workshops and organizations, typically in those giving frontline roles and in those fields. And the question I'll ask folks is, how is self-care presented to you? Think about how it's marketed to you. And the top answers that come up are spa day, bubble bath, it's marketed as alcohol, it's marketed as something that's just easy or that it always looks really perfect or, Mm -hmm. you know, the pristine clean home with the lit candle. And that's just so unrealistic for so many of us. Like the, (laughs) I see that stuff on TikTok all the time and like Instagram, there's like this like clean girl aesthetic where you're just sitting with a cup of matcha and then journaling and that's self-care. And I'm not going to say that's like not valid but it's like definitely not the definition of self-care like it's I I find that that is kind of like it's enjoyable but it's it's not the only thing like there are so many other levels that you to self-care exactly that's one way and if it works for the folks that are doing it great and that that's really what I want to support folks with is that that's the main narrative we're seeing, whether it's on TikTok, whether it's, you know, you're in the grocery store and the magazine that's right there that says wellness on it is going to have that type of an image instead of the things that can be really realistic. So I break it down into six different categories that self-care can be physical, it can be emotional it can be, I'm going to get all six. <laughs> it's going to be fun, social, practical. I really hope I got all six there, but I'll go just, through just them. Five, but five. 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 Okay. We'll, we'll go through We'll them. get to six. Okay. We'll go through them. So physical self-care, anything for our body that can look like, it could look like an exercise class. It could look like movement because if we're having a day where mental health wise, we just are not able to go to that class that we might have signed up for, or we're shaming ourselves into thinking, oh, I should be able to do X, Y, Z. 
instead of introducing movement that is supportive for our mental health, but doesn't have to be beyond our capacity. So I always like to mention that exercise is not the only form of physical self-care. It can look like movement, going out for a walk, can look like stretching at your desk in between meetings that you have. It can be really simple, like anything to introduce movement that supports our physical health. And then emotional is more on our mental health side. That could look like journaling. It could look like calling a friend or um, going to therapy or anything that's going to support our emotional health. And I can go through each of them. We can pause at each one. Um, but the fun and social, I like to talk about together that fun self-care, that's more of the, when you do have some money, you might go to a concert. Like that can be for more of the special treat kind of self-care. And social is the types that we're doing with others, that it's collective. It doesn't have to be done on our own. Going to hang out with friends, people we feel safe with, receiving support is all part of social self-care. Yeah, especially like big emphasis on people we feel safe with, right? Like I have a very like uh, curated inner circle of people that I feel very safe with that I doesn't matter how how long it's been, the friendship is the same, the connection is the same, and I can tell them anything. There's no judgment. And my time with them is always like replenishing me. It all it always fills my cup. Totally. And that would be an example of you practicing such aligned social self-care that you're choosing and curating these people that are safe, that are uh, people that fill your cup, that feel good to spend time with versus, yeah, shaming ourselves or forcing ourselves to um, spend time with someone just because we think we have to. And that's where boundary setting can be part of our emotional self-care or our social self-care. You know what? I don't have the capacity or this person isn't safe for me to spend time with if they're not someone who's supportive of our mental health, of, of anything, right? Um, so I always like to really point out how important social self-care is because we're hardwired for connection, that as much as self-care is about supporting ourselves, we get to do that with other people as well. We get to receive and, and have those safe, healthy people around us. And the final two types of self-care are practical and spiritual. So just like all of them, they'll look different for each of us. But spiritual self-care could look like pulling cards or spending time in nature. It could look like religious practices, like whatever for each person, because it gets to be unique to us. And then practical self-care, I think of as the less fun self-care, but, you know, keeping our spaces clean and practical self-care for myself as someone with ADHD will look like sometimes getting half the dishes done is good enough. And the second half, I'm not going to force myself to do, but it's a little bit cleaner and that makes me feel a little bit better in my space. So the practical self-care things that set us up for our wellness that aren't maybe watching TV or doing the fun things, but they can be supportive kind of in the background as well. So it sounds like self-care is also a lot of like maintenance work. It's there is fun and there is like stuff that sparks joy. And that's how it's been marketed to me is it's, it's stuff that sparks joy and like frivolous things, stuff like that. But I've learned, especially through you, like self-care is maintenance as well you know, I had so much laundry to do and it was just like all over my room and I was getting more and more like miserable with all this laundry in my room. And 
instead of freaking out and putting this pressure on myself to do it all at once, I was like, okay, I am just going to do one load. That's all I have the energy for. And then tomorrow I'll do the same thing and we'll get it done. And that, that is the maintenance. Like if that's all you can do, it's kind of just being patient with myself and compassionate. Totally. Like meeting yourself where you're at instead of thinking that our capacity should be or could be different. And I think that's the, you know, more realistic approach to self-care where I think for some folks, maybe just having the frivolous, more fun stuff that gets to be what self-care is just for them. And I think for any of us who are navigating complex trauma or poverty or any intersection of any difficult experience, how we care for ourselves is always intertwined with that. And we can't simply just go do something fun and all the things we're dealing with are put on pause because they come with us and they're, they're always there. So for me, I, I try and approach self-care as a, a holistic, like embracing where we are and what do I need in this moment, which might look different today versus tomorrow versus next year. So it doesn't have to be static and always the same, but we can care for ourselves by connecting to what we really need in that moment. I didn't realize I was doing that because last year I kind of, my needs were a lot different than they are this year. Right. And I'm, that's really resonating with me. Like last year I prioritized um, a lot of my physical self-care goals, right? Like I went out and I got health insurance and I was like, okay, I need to go to the dentist. I haven't been since before COVID. Um, so I need to go to the dentist. I need to take care of like my teeth. I need to go maybe see like the chiropractor because I have a lot of back pain and see like um, how I can adjust my desk setup, right? Stuff like that. Mm. Um, and so last year was kind of like a, a year of physical self-care. And now I'm noticing like this year is more of a year of gratitude. I'm, I'm noticing a lot more like spiritual and emotional self-care happening. Um, and so it's really good that you said that like your needs and your, your goals change over time. I think that that is really important to remember. Yeah. It's, it just feels so much more expansive and spacious to go about wellness in this way versus again, that marketed version. And and I think bringing up the examples we see on TikTok are so important because I think so many of us need that validation that it looks like exactly what you just described, that one year you're focusing more on your physical self-care and focusing on your physical health. And the next year, now you're shifting into something else because you've been focusing on that. And we can't do all six all the time, or we get to pick what works and what doesn't. Instead of, I know a lot of people will take in wellness info especially from online and then try and do 18 different new things. Oh my God. And of course we're not going to be able to, right? And then we get frustrated and then we don't do any of them. So I just think going about it in simple and realistic ways actually like builds up our wellness for the rest of our life versus thinking we've got to do a 180, you know, personal development moment and just integrate all the new things. It's, it's just not possible. No, that's why I stopped doing New Year's resolutions around that stuff too. Um, My resolutions are now just more like fun stuff. Like if it happens, it happens and then I can like cross it off. But like I gave up on the, I'm going to exercise and go to the gym all the time and I'm going to like eat better. No, we're not doing this. No, We're not doing that. I'm going to journal every single day. Like 
no, I can't. No, no, that's yeah. so <laughs> it's it, that's just not realistic for me. Um, so what does realistic self care look like for you? Is that is that a, like can I ask you about kind of how you personally practice or like effective yeah. and realistic self care? Totally. For myself, I I really like to set kind of at the start of the month check in with when I look at what's coming up professionally. Like you said, instead of doing the New Year's resolutions, it's really the start of the month. Okay, it's a new month. What's going on for me this month, professionally, personally? And I like to plan in some things, like some fun things. And that's kind of more of in a structured overall way. But day to day, for me, it's so much about checking in on where my capacity is and where my mental health is at. Um, throughout the pandemic, I was diagnosed with ADHD. And that was something that I, I had suspected for a long time. Um, and I deal with a lot of, um, it's not diagnosed, but I'm suspecting PMDD. So for me, I feel like every single week is different for me with having a menstrual cycle. So <clears throat> that's something that for anyone who navigates that is something to think about that every week may look different. So for me, the way I self-care in one week versus another will look so different because my energy levels are totally different. Um, things that we can't predict that come up. So for me, similarly, I used to do that. I'm going to journal every day. And now it's, I have journaling as a tool and I'll turn to it when it feels good or when I think it'll be supportive. I just know for me, trying to do a every day I will just isn't realistic. Um, and then if I don't do it, I know I'll be hard on myself. So I do a lot of check-ins of how am I feeling right now? What might I need? Um, being really intentional with taking breaks. That's something that's gotten way easier. I don't feel any guilt over resting anymore, but that's been six to seven years of ongoing therapy and, and engaging with it and, and really practicing. I feel like the more that we practice, um, the more that we practice things over and over, the easier they do become. Um, but that's really my approach is more intuitive um, than trying to keep to a strict schedule because I know my mental health is different every day. So I'll just check in, what do I need today? And then I've got my list of ideas for those six types of self-care and I'll kind of pick from it like a menu and go, okay, I've got 10 minutes. What can I do in 10 minutes? That's cool. Okay. I like this. I like the self-care menu. I'm into that. I might actually do that. Yeah. I kind of like do it a totally. little bit, but I, I think like even just, okay, I have 10 minutes. Like what can I do to just, yeah, you know, what, what do I need? Write it out. And checking in with yourself is really important too. Like, what do I need? Because a lot of people with BPD, for example, it's, it's hard for us to figure out what we need. All we know is like, you know, if we're feeling a very intense emotion, for example, and you might get this with ADHD as well, like a little bit of emotion dysregulation. When you're feeling yeah. dysregulated, um, it's very hard to figure out what you need. All you know is, uh, I feel really uncomfortable. I feel pain. I feel emotional pain and I need to mm -hmm. do something to get rid of it. And um, taking that moment and, and kind of buying yourself time to check in and really figure out like, okay, am I hungry? Am I like angry? Am I really lonely? Like, am I tired or something? Mm. Um, that has been a game changer for me. Yeah, I love that. Totally. And you could even set up the menu, whether you do it with allotments of time. 
um, I have a page in my planner where I have like a self-care menu and it's like appetizers, main course, and kind of giving people ideas of if it's an appetizer, right? That's your like five to 10 minutes. So you could do your own with like allotments of time or emotional state or experiences, right? So it could be for myself, I know that if I'm experiencing a lot of emotional dysregulation, the first thing I'll do is food, water, or move physically where I am. Mm. If I'm, you know, been sitting at my desk for several hours and I'm having a moment or something's triggered me, I will physically move from the space um, when possible. And so having some of those strategies already ready when you're in a regulated space and writing them down kind of like a okay, here's my sheet of if I'm feeling this way, here's my six to seven strategies to try out can be really, really handy. Because in that moment, especially with emotional dysregulation, being able to cognitively connect to linear thinking just just doesn't happen. Like some kind of problem comes up and, and you're immediately like, oh my God, what if I can't fix this? This is a major conundrum. Like managing the stress um, really like it can be really, really hard when your alarm bells are going off. Um, And so like, for me, I I do have some things like in my kind of like back pocket that I do for kind of emotion regulation. And then once the emotion comes down, I feel drained and I I do have to do some self-care there. Um, But recognizing that was, was a big thing for me. Like that was a big step. So. That's awesome. How do you encourage individuals to prioritize self-care as like an ongoing practice versus a temporary solution? Because we did talk Mm. just now briefly about like a temporary emotion dysregulation solution. The menu for you, I, I think that's a really good like ongoing thing. Are there other kind of tools that you use for like ongoing? Yeah. Totally. One of the things, and I always like to distinguish between ritual and routine, um, because for some folks, routine, I'm going to write my journal every day is like a no-go, won't happen. Whereas for some folks, they will be able to do that. Um, So I kind of think ritual and routine we're going to look at. So one of the things I would encourage people with is to start thinking of daily, weekly, and monthly, because there's self-care we can be doing that is simpler and takes less time daily, things that are a little bit bigger weekly, and things that we can plan in less often, but monthly. And the first thing I do is really affirm for folks that when we recognize that we're in a space of kind of playing catch up all the time and self-care is only happening as an aftercare, as once we've reached exhaustion, once we notice we're in burnout, or once we finally have the time and just affirming that recognizing that is a huge, huge win in and of itself of awareness. And I also like to affirm for people that that is normal. That is common uh, within our world because of how many responsibilities we have. It makes sense when self-care is last on our list and there are things we can do to integrate it more. And for each of us, for one person, the cause could be more of internal with the guilt for someone else. It might be, they're a single parent with three kids and there's simply not enough time in the day. So with each of those people, I would approach it really uniquely, but overall thinking about rituals or routines. So say we know a tool is really supportive. It could be 
listening to podcasts. So instead of having a routine of I'm going to do something, something with podcasts every single day, the tool is listening to podcasts and you can create a ritual around it. So something I like to do is anytime I take my dog for a walk, I either listen to music or a podcast. And that's part of my self-care time. So it's something I'm already doing, but I'm adding in something with self-care. So even if there's nothing else we can change about our lives right now, speaking especially to folks who are busy, it's where can we add in self-care daily, weekly, or monthly? And I suggest people start with something daily that is attached to something they're already doing. So it could be after they watch TV in the evening or after doing dinner, starting a practice and starting with just that one and doing it over and over and reaping the benefits from it, enjoying how it feels to do, seeing how it impacts them. And that can often empower us to then add something else. But starting with just one instead of trying to do an overhaul on our wellness, because to go right from only practicing self-care once we're at burnout or once we finally have time to suddenly infusing it every day is like varsity level too much. So we want to start with one practice, one maybe type of self-care I would suggest someone start with physical or emotional or so on. Okay. So just like baby steps, just like little steps at a time and things will just be groovy. Like I did make that mistake where I was like, okay, I need to like revamp my entire life. Um, I need to like go for a walk for an hour every day and then like in one month I need to start running um that entire thing and I was just like okay no this is no so I instead I I ended up turning it into okay I'm gonna walk through the trails and I'm just gonna go at my own pace and I'm gonna it's gonna turn into like nature bathing like it's gonna be like a spiritual thing Mm -hmm. and it's gonna be movement and instead of it turning into this like chore that I that's not really motivating me I I I got really excited for my nature walks and I did a lot of like reflecting time and Mm. so it it did become a routine when I lived in Oakville um and so that was like a really good and I would do it after morning coffee I would do it after morning coffee this was during Mm. COVID um and yeah that was like the COVID kind of self-care thing. Um, nice. Yeah. So. yeah. I, I love too that you went with really making it something that you wanted to do. And I think that's really important when we're infusing, like how can we make it a little bit easier for ourselves to follow through on or what could make this a little bit more intriguing or exciting or really asking ourselves, how do I want to feel? And then what type of self-care is going to help me feel that way? And approaching it that way automatically makes it more aligned and doable versus, you know, if we read a blog post that's 20 ways to self-care, when I read those lists, half of them are things I have no interest in doing. Um, I just can't. Like one of the examples of being the bubble bath, right? I'm thinking, it's not that I, if I lived in a beautiful place with a deep tub, I'd be all over it. But I live in an apartment with a very kind of eh bathtub so it's just not going to cut it right so we gotta gotta pick what we enjoy what we actually like doing yeah like definitely or when people talk about like oh you you should go and buy like a bath bomb with essential oils i'm like okay that's great in theory um but the reality is like no that's gonna maybe probably mess with my ph and i'm gonna have a really bad time yeah. like please no yes, like, exactly please no thank no. you like i 
you can't do this. Um, yeah. So it's just like, um, there are, yeah, there are a lot of, some people hate being in nature, um, for, I don't know, like they don't like being outside. Like obviously we're in Canada, so I get it. If you don't want to do like a wintry walk, um, some people do like going to the gym. I noticed, like I tried so many times to get the movement through going to the gym. I just can't. I don't like the smell of the gym. Um, mm. And I, I do like the cold air. And so when I moved to Edmund, back to Edmonton, obviously it's like really cold here. Um, yeah. But the cold air helps me regulate my emotions. And mm. so when I'm feeling a really intense emotion, it helps me to go and actually like take deep breaths, go on a walk, um, just in any direction, but as long as I'm feeling the cold air on my face and just in my lungs, um, I, I like it and it, it helps me in a lot of different ways. So that's awesome. But it's kind of reflecting on yourself and you're like, okay, do I like this? Like, or don't I, what do I prefer instead? I would rather do this thing instead. So let's just do that. Like, yeah, you know? make it your own, right? It has to be unique. It has to actually work for us. Oh, I wanted to ask you about community support because you mentioned mm. kind of how there's a social aspect and how we do, we are connected with each other and that is a form of self-care. What do you think like the role that community support plays in kind of fostering a culture of like sustainable self-care? Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, no, exactly. This is, it's so convoluted because I always think about how if our culture was set up to be one of community, we wouldn't struggle with self-care as much as we are. Like there's a reason self-care is so difficult and so many of the barriers are systemic and so many of the barriers are because we're not receiving the support that we need, whether it's from community, from government, from in just support in general So I always like to preface it with, we can't talk about self-care without talking about collective care and the fact of who gets to access being able to care for themselves. And so there's inherently privilege within it, even within our own struggles to care for ourselves. We have to look at how we all have a very different 24 hours in a day. And I always like to really drive that home because that's a common wellness thing we see. Oh, we all have the same 24 hours. Just prioritize yourself. And we all have different resources. We have different support. We have different financial situations, all the different things, right? So when it comes to community, I think the community is so integral to it. And many of us may not feel right now that we have enough people around us or enough support. And that's where I think, especially through the pandemic, TikTok became so much of our community for these types of topics, especially in the first year or two, I felt like so many people were feeling validated and affirmed because they were hearing other stories of the same struggles for the first time on a variety of topics, not just wellness. But I think especially I saw so many moms specifically speak about, and parents in general, but but moms specifically speaking about the lack of support for domestic labor in the household and division of labor. And so all of that's so connected that oftentimes when I work with women, they'll talk about having struggles with self-care. And I always want to affirm that many of us, depending on our identity, have had different expectations placed on us. And we do have less time because we are doing more. 
And there's so much related to this. So I know this isn't a, a concise answer, but it's one of those things where we've had to cultivate our own community because we don't live in a culture, and I'm speaking about Canada specifically, where there isn't community built in. We don't have our people right there, right? We're kind of in our individual units and we have to work so hard to create it, which is really tough and can be really exhausting too. I realize that like North American culture is is really individualistic and it's kind of like, yeah. okay, if you can't, like you need to be able to support yourself and do everything yourself. And it's like, that's not real at all. Mm-hmm. It's just not. Yeah. You know, even as I say, like this is my year of gratitude. I, a lot of that gratitude is for being fortunate enough to have the help of other people. I could not, Mm -hmm. there is, it is literally impossible for me to have progressed on my healing journey, to be able to have practiced self care and met a lot of my health goals and all of that by myself. It is literally impossible. Like I can't do my own chiropractic work. I can't do my own massage. I can't like be my own dentist. Um, There's only so much that I can do, right? I can't, um, I can cook for myself maybe, but like I, I can't supply an entire grocery store myself. And so like, that's how much we need other people and that's just mm-hmm. on like that's no, just not even on a community like care level. That's just like society. And then yeah. there's the other element of like I moved back to my hometown because I needed my network of people that I didn't have mm-hmm. in Toronto. And that emotional support was really like being around my yeah. best friends, um, being around the like my people. Right. That was a big part of community care. Is just like knowing that. I have my people to support me and that I have people that I trust that I can go to if I'm really, really struggling, like they are there. They are there for me. Yeah. It's so valuable. Yeah. And that's the thing is we, we couldn't, we literally can't do any of, of this without other people. Like you're saying it's from the structural side, from the community care, it's all so interwoven. And I think the pandemic in a lot of ways revealed that of just how important community is when we didn't have the same access as we normally have in that first year. I think it completely reshaped things for so many people to reflect on, whoa, wait a minute. Is it working where I'm living? Is this job working for me? You know, Who am I spending my time with? Who do I really want to cultivate relationships with? Who is safe for me? Right? All those questions I think we had an opportunity to reflect on in a deeper way. And I think it's so supportive that you made that choice to be in a space where you have that support around you that is so, so invaluable. Mm -hmm. Thank you. The self-compassion aspect, I wanted to kind of revisit Mm -hmm. that a little bit like people struggling with internalized guilt and internalized shame. Did you notice like a few years ago that you struggled a lot with the self-compassion? Like I'm wondering kind of how you learned to cultivate that and like bring that into your self-care like routines and your rituals. Yeah, it has been, it's been ongoing for sure. That's probably the the toughest part for me was building a sense of self-compassion. I've been, 
my own worst enemy since I was a kid, since I can remember the Absolutely, yes. internal narrative, right? has just been so negative and so self-judgmental. Um, and it's, I think it's just so, so ironic when I would look at how much compassion I had to give outwards and the complete lack that was inwards, right? It was just such an interesting juxtaposition to look back on. So that was the hardest part for me is it's been ongoing and probably my biggest strides in it have been in the past couple of years. Um, therapy has been invaluable for me to build that self-compassion. And I think a big piece of it, and this is a Brené Brown quote that, um, and I'm, I'm going to misquote it slightly. Uh, it's shame. Uh, what is it? Shame can't survive when stories are told in safe places. It's a version of that where she's talking about how one of the ways we really shame is, is telling our stories to people who can really hear us. And our story could be a moment of trauma we've experienced. Our story could be, I'm having a really tough day and I want to talk about it and having someone hold space for you. And for that, I almost, it was, I learned how to be compassionate with myself by receiving compassion from really safe people and non-judgmental people. And it, it helped me slowly start to build it up in myself and feel worthy of it. I think I didn't feel worthy of being kind to myself for so long. Um, and it just lived with so much shame. So the past couple of years, there's times when I don't want to do self-care. Or I've been so exhausted but I've always framed it as I know I deserve this. Even if I don't think that right now, I know on a larger perspective that if I'm encouraging other people to do this, I'm also one of those people. Like I, I also want to cultivate that, that love for myself. Um, but I really think it was through having safe people to start to just be honest about how I was feeling. And I think so many of us who who struggle to practice self-care, who've, who've you know, dealt with things in their mental health journey, haven't had those spaces or haven't received enough self-compassion. So of course, it's going to be harder for us to intrinsically have it if we weren't in receiving, like we, we weren't receiving it. Yeah. So I think, again, having safe people around me has really helped me start to see myself the way, the way that they see me. I'm glad that you said that because there's a lot of messaging in media that just says like, well, you need to learn to love yourself before somebody else can love you. And I think yeah. that that's wrong. <laughs> I just, they have to go together. That's part of the community support. That's part of the community care is like, even like Maslow's hierarchy of needs is that this is part of that where feeling a sense of belonging and a sense of being valued by other people that you mm. that you trust that yeah. you respect if you're in an environment where you're really isolated or you're invalidated frequently it can it can be really hard to cultivate that self-compassion and that feeling of like well I deserve to take this time for myself I deserve to I'm allowed to have needs I'm allowed to tend to them I'm allowed to take the time mm. to do that I'm allowed to maintain my well-being in this way. Totally. Yeah. I, I think I love what you said around how cultivating self-compassion and receiving from others is that infinite loop because I share your same perspective of, I, I always kind of, oof, I can't stand the, you've got to love yourself before someone else. Like I just, because it is, I really see it as an infinity loop. And the more we build 
self-love, we build our capacity for receiving and seeking out healthy love and vice versa, where it's like the more that we're receiving it, the more we can feel it ourselves. So it's always connected. That's one of the pieces I think that gets lost in a lot of the messaging online, like you said, that it's overly simplistic and might work for some folks, but I think for most of us, it doesn't land and it might cause more of that shame of, oh, okay, I'm not loving myself. Or if I don't, like, I, I always like to remind people that even on the days that you don't like yourself, you can still act from a place of self-love. And this is where Bell Hooks talks about in her, in her book, All About Love, she differentiates self-loving and even just loving others and saying it's an action. So love is not something we just feel. So even if we are really down on ourselves today, we can still act in loving ways. And that could look like brushing our teeth, getting in the shower, getting ready for the day. It could look like making a meal, even if it's a simple meal because we've had a really difficult day, but the act of love is nourishing our body. Even if we are feeling shame that we didn't get quote unquote enough done. So in those moments, I don't try and solve the mental gymnastics that are going on in my head of, oh, I didn't get enough done, but I know that's, you know, capitalism talking in my brain. I'll just, right? But sometimes again, the cognitive capacity is not there. So I just say, you know what? I'm going to nourish my body and make a meal. And that's an act of love, even if I'm not feeling tons of self-love in that moment. That's amazing. That's that's honestly, I I have a lot of those days too where I'm like, I can't deal with this right now. I honestly don't like myself right now, but I am going to make a grilled cheese because that's what I have. We're going to yes. do it. We're going to make it happen because I need it. Yeah. I need it because if I, if I don't do this for myself, um, I'm mm. going to feel worse. And I, you know, I need to, I need to maintain myself. I need to keep yeah. going. I need to nourish my body. Even if I'm like not feeling it right now, mm. it's got to get yes. done. I feel like that could be a sticker right there. Like, I don't like myself, but I'm going to make a grilled cheese. I think that's the perfect, like, <laughs> the perfect reminder of, like, encapsulating what self-care sometimes looks like. Yeah, yeah. I don't like myself. I'm make grilled cheese. Yes, I can, I can nourish myself. Yes. You mentioned, actually quite a few uh, really good resources on stuff like this. Like we talked about uh, Brene Brown a little bit. Um, we talked about another book. What, what oh, was that book uh, again? Bell Hooks, the... All About Love. Um, one of the best books on mm -hmm. the concept of both self-loving and what love really means. Um, Bell Hooks is an incredible, incredible educator and activist. And um, this book has been integral to my self-care work. Um, so even though it's on the self-love side, it really gets into these topics of it's hard to be what we didn't see. So if we didn't grow up seeing our caregivers rest or do things for themselves or, you know, be really compassionate with us, well, that makes sense that we struggle with these skills now. So it's a really affirming book and really kind of complicates the idea of self-love, but she goes about it in the way of, okay, it's an action. It's not just a feeling. Um, so highly recommend uh, that book and Brene Brown's are just always, always incredible. I love, love all of hers. Yeah. Yeah. Brene Brown is yeah. Yeah, classic. Um, if people want to learn more about self-care, where can they find you on socials? So the best spots are TikTok and Instagram. And I'm at self-care with lore. 
L-A-U-R at the end. And yeah, I like to share a lot of resources that are simple reframes, tips, ideas, and those are the two main platforms. And then I do share on there as well about the work I do in organizations. And that's kind of 90% of, of what I do offline is, is the teaching in workplaces and then online creating that supportive content to help us yeah, really follow through on our self-care. That's awesome. What kind of organizations? Yeah, so I mostly, I work with a lot of nonprofits in the social services field. So a lot of educators, a lot of healthcare staff. Um, so yeah, I've gotten to work with a lot of teachers, nurses, people who are working in nonprofits, like the folks who do so much for others in our society. I want to help them feel affirmed that they deserve to receive care and be there to give them these types of reminders that self-care isn't just that expensive spa day, that they can be practicing it in simple ways. That is honestly incredible. And your website too, I, I notice you have, um, you have like downloads as well, right? Yeah, I've got some digital downloads. There is a free resource of 150 ways to self-care and it goes through those six types of self-care we talked about. So it's totally free. 150 ideas to just get us going beyond the more expensive ideas that we typically see online. And then I've got some resources between the 4 to $40 mark of um, some accessible digital downloads, planners, that kind of thing for anyone who wants to grab some tools to support themselves. That is amazing. Oh my God. <laughs> thank you. You're like all set up. Oh my goodness. That thank is incredible. You. Thank you so much for telling me about self-care. That's all. That was amazing. Of course. During the pandemic and at the beginning of my journey, Laura's content about self-care really helped me to understand that self-care truly does not look like the things that mainstream media markets to you. It's way beyond bath bombs and spa days and having a, you know, like a that girl routine. You know what I mean? And so when I let go of letting those ideas influence my self-care, that's when I really began to develop the forms of self-care, the rituals, the routines that replenish my body and my soul. So I hope this chat helps you in similar ways because you deserve love and you deserve to take care of yourself. Thanks for listening. Hello?